We're back. Yes. <laughs> For the third time, <laughs> my batteries <laughs> died. I should be more professional than this. That's okay. Oh, man. Yeah, you, you said you All haven't right. eaten, and I I get that. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> before I apparently run out of my ticking clock, mm-hmm. um, let's thank our patrons, Aaron. Yeah, go what for do it. What you think about that? Hey, I think we should thank All our right. patrons. Yes. Thank you, Kathy, Cindy, mm-hmm. Allison, mm-hmm. Brian, mm-hmm. Chelsea, Saria, mm-hmm. Travis, Tyler, Jesse, and Brian. Thanks. You guys are and awesome. And thank you, everybody else who supports the yes. show as well. Every single one of you yeah. listening, sharing, talking about, and Patreon. So many ways. Yeah. yeah. Patreon.com forward slash look what I did. You mm-hmm. can support us there for as little as a dollar an episode yeah. or a dollar a month. Uh, yep. Um, I do. Yeah. And, and think of us like public radio, right? Like mm-hmm. this is the only way we get funding. So your dollars yes. pay the bills. They pay for us to keep the podcast hosted so you can go back and listen to any episode, mm-hmm. um, the website, all of those things. Cause we, you know, we haven't been able to do any public events for <laughs> a year at this point almost. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, so where we would normally sell merch or those types of mm-hmm. things, like we we just haven't had that opportunity. Yeah. So we would deeply appreciate it if you go to patreon.com forward slash look what I did, click the one dollar, mm-hmm. click the five dollar. If you want to have a one on one conversation with me and Aaron every month, click the fifty dollar. I mean, we'll Do take it. it. Um, but yeah, so that's a great way to support the show. And also, like Aaron was saying, you know, rate, review, share with friends. Mm-hmm. I think like, you know, people are kind of like have the routine in place at this point and they've figured out where podcasts kind of fit in that daily routine. I see people right. like asking on Facebook more what to listen to, mm-hmm. um, share the show, talk about the show. There's, there's nothing more powerful than your, your approval and review of us, right? Yeah. Like that yeah. matters more to mm-hmm. your friends than anything we can say or any number of stars, which I'm very grateful to everybody that gives us five stars. Yes. I don't know how we've held that rating, five. but there it is. We're a five star show. Um, so know the content's good, right? Mm-hmm. And consistent. Yeah. Uh, we're also members of the voice Ooh. press, so you can go to the voicepress.com and you can find other finely curated, mm-hmm. independently produced podcasts there the as finest. well. I'm grateful to be a part of that for, we've been doing that for a year and a half, man, somewhere in there. You got me. I think yeah. that's about right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's been, it's been a while, but it, it, you know, cool and excited to hopefully get like, be able to go out and do things with people again mm-hmm. and kind of like get the voice press out there more. Yeah. Uh, hopefully people are, you know, creating new content. Um, new podcasts are coming up because the voice press is always looking for new great shows to add to that yeah. lineup as well. So if you have something um, that you've gotten off the ground and you're looking for a platform where you can kind of share that with other podcasts, uh, reach out to us mm-hmm. and and we can we can definitely talk to you. We'd, we'd be excited to Heck talk yeah. to you. Heck, if you have a question about making a podcast... <laughs> DM Aaron or I like we love talking about it we love sharing like there are no secrets here right so um if you've come up with a good idea uh over the course of this last year last couple months your new year's resolution is to to do something creative like we're here to help and to chat with Mm -hmm. you and um we wouldn't be here without support and guidance from people either so um man this this episode it was everything I hoped and more his agent Tom's Mm -hmm. agent reached out to us and uh, it was just like, I don't, wait, what? You know, like <laughs> like when you first read it, it was like, you're a professor of the occult, cult? Like, I, what? Yeah. You know, like, is that a thing? Um, and so you didn't, like, I didn't know what to expect, right? Same. Like, who, you kind of get in your head, like, am I, are we dealing with, like, that, like, <laughs> uh, like tinfoil yep. hat kind of, you know, or yeah. are you getting Jeff Bridges from Arlington <laughs> Road? Like, which way are we mm-hmm. going here? Happy to say, I think a little more Jeff Bridges from Arlington Road. Um, <laughs> but man, it was so, I learned so yeah. much. Like, and it's, it's topical. Um, I think it's, it's something that, that everybody is kind yeah. of encountering more and more. Very daily. relevant. And it mm-hmm. was just, yeah. yeah. Um, it made me feel like we were actually news reporters, Aaron. Like we were man. on the cutting edge of something. It, for uh, once. <laughs> yeah. I, there was a bit at the beginning where I was a little bit leery. I was like, oh, is this where we finally cut someone off? But then, like, he explained what he does. And I was like, okay, you're my hero. <laughs> yeah, no, it was super yeah, cool. Yeah. And and I think, re- like, regardless of where anybody falls on the spectrum mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, the, like, 
of how we feel about what's right. going on today, right. right? I think there's a lot of um, fear of the unknown mm-hmm. and, and people buying into things that we don't think they should have, yep. no matter which side of the aisle you might be on. And And I think what was great about this episode was just kind of discussing the mindset of people that are yes. there. there. There's not a discussion about like, and, and it, frankly, I think actually all of our discussion wasn't even really present day. It more was yeah. kind of like the cycle yep. mm-hmm. of um, how we start believing something. Yeah. And it, right. Like, so it was just a really fascinating mm-hmm. episode. I found it really, really interesting. And I, I hope that Tom will take me up on my offer of coffee once we can be in person oh, yeah. again, because I could have just kept listening to him. I mean, he made our job easy, yep. right? Like, I asked a couple questions and then Tom talked like in <laughs> and you wanted to give him more space. Mm-hmm. I was like, I shouldn't even ask questions anymore. Yeah. Like I'm, I should just let this guy talk. He's a professor. So it makes yep. sense, I guess, yep. but <laughs> it's fitting. Um, and he wrote a book uh, and I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but um, you know, once I do, I'll definitely put a review out. It's a novella. It's going to be a relatively mm-hmm. short read. I just, I need, I need to get to it. Yeah. Um, Right now, I'm reading "If Then," which is an interesting, mm. like the, uh, like the, the beginnings of behavioral science back in the 1960s, wow. and that, that's also oddly ties into this. But whatever. Um, so, without further ado, Mr. Tom Vaughn, enjoy. Um, all right. So let let's start with who you are and what you do. Uh, Well, uh, my name is Thomas Vaughn, and I am a professor at Arkansas Tech University in the uh, Department of Communication. Uh, My specialization Mm -hmm. is apocalyptic rhetoric, Uh, so I I study end-of-the-world movements and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, conspiracy groups and that sort of thing. And uh, about 10 or 12 years ago, I just started meditating. And as a result of that, I found myself writing fiction. And there seemed to be a kind of connection between those two activities. And as that, the practice of writing fiction evolved, I did that for about eight years and, and didn't send anything out. And finally, I, I wrote a novel and some friends of mine read it and said, you, you need to start thinking about, you're getting good enough now. I was just kind of practicing and getting better. And they said, you need to start sending stuff out. And so I started sending out short stories. They started getting published and... Uh, lo and behold, I have a, a novella that, that just came out on Bad Dream Entertainment. So that was the, uh, uh, I guess I'm a professor and author now. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah. I, so I have to roll this back just a little bit, but I've never heard of the class uh, apocalyptic rhetoric. So can you Same. give us a definition of, uh, I mean, Book of Eli, I'm assuming, has got to be one of them. But <laughs> yeah, it, it's Ooh. a, uh, well, I can, I can kind of... Uh, when I, when I first got into it was uh, uh, I'd had kind of a background in film and religion with my communications uh, uh, background, but then uh, I was spending my summers in Austin, Texas you know, about 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and that's a very politically eccentric kind of area in terms of having some kind of fringe groups and that sort of thing. Mm. There was this radio, uh, radio broadcast that would come out on the uh, kind of in the lower FM uh, range. And it was really conspiracy driven. You know, 9-11 was an inside job, um, very anti-Semitic type stuff. And Mm. then one day it was just gone. And I found out that the FCC, it was illegal. And the FCC had like shut it down, kicked the door down while they were on the air. Mm. And when I got back into town, I kind of just, I just checked the, that frequency and this guy popped up and his name was Alex Jones. And Alex Jones is, of course, a very you know notable figure now in the the on the internet in terms of his his uh, prison plan at Infowars.com and that sort of thing. But this mm-hmm. was at his very beginning, at his like baby egg stage mm-hmm. of his development. And so I had a chance to begin. I realized, you know, this is a really this stuff is really really powerful. Um, and so a lot of my work has been about um, kind of you know studying how these. Uh, uh, how this type of uh, communication style and these these messages, how they um, how they're promulgated, why they're so powerful, why why people find find these kind of dramatic narratives of uh, things like a prison planet, why they find that so uh, uh, 
you know, how they become heroes in their own narratives and that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, resisting the great dystopian world. And uh, I began to talk to more and more people whose lives were affected by it. And I realized it was a really powerful force. Um, and so I, I set about the task of doing research and writing papers and publishing articles to try to warn people that this was a growing force in our society. Um, a lot of people were not really ready to listen to that at that moment. Um, and uh, of course, um, you know, here we are, right? And it, it's kind of it's kind of a. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to try to kind of not not get too. Uh, it's hard to not be political on this hard. one, almost. Right? Yeah, like, I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying yeah. to avoid being political, but it was just. Um, we, we obviously see a situation now where it's become more mainstream. And so right, I, right. I kind of deal with yeah. the ramifications of mm-hmm. that. Yeah. And I think so, cause I, you know, I was thinking about this today, just like, I'm, I'm really interested, I think because of the current climate as well. Right. Like this is really fascinating to me how much some of these, uh, outlying theories have really caught you know my daughter a couple years ago um just flat out was like dad do you think the earth is flat and i was like (laughs) like like why you know you're in sixth grade or seventh grade at this point like not the 16th century sixth grade yeah 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 (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and, and, you know, the problem is you can get on the internet and search, like, is the earth flat? And you're going to find a bunch of reasons why it is, right? And then mm-hmm. you can also search why the earth isn't flat, and you'll find a bunch of reasons why it isn't. Mm-hmm. And because of this kind of, like, glut of information, you end up in a, a spot where um, I always say the internet's agnostic to the truth, right? It doesn't it doesn't care. That's a good, that's a good way to frame it. I, I like that. That's a really good way to phrase it. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> but the problem is it kind of creates mm-hmm. that echo chamber, right? Because yeah. I can keep going down this path. But the the question became to me, why do you think the stickiness is there right now? And is it only because we're living in, in this moment that we feel like it's super present? Has it always been present and we're just kind of hyper aware in our own time? Or is it actually growing? Is the stickiness becoming more? Well, I, I think it's kind of both. Um, what I the, the way I would answer that is, you know, one of the one of the times I remember realizing this was going to be uh, a really interesting field of study for me was there was this girl that used to cut my hair, and she was a really sweet girl, and I, I wasn't good friends with her or anything, but I'd go in and get my hair cut, and we would talk. Uh, a, a nice little Baptist girl, right? Just really, just as sweet as she could be. And when she found out what I studied she got kind of quiet one like she got kind of quiet you know when people when somebody's getting ready to self-disclose something really <laughs> intense mm-hmm. they get yeah. kind of quiet and their eyes get a little bit glassy and she's still cutting my hair but i'm like whoa here here's something's coming <laughs> she asked me if i have you ever heard of alex jones and i was like well yeah i have that's that's one of the one of the the folks i study that's actually the person that i kind of like started started down this uh, line of research uh after after hearing uh, and she began to tell me about her husband, how he had gotten kind of caught up in all of this and that he would, um, like one time they were going to a Thanksgiving dinner and he redirected them up into Missouri because there was some sort of compound up there where the government was getting ready to start a concentration camp and interring, you know, and, and you know, having American citizens go there was sort of a big mass prison mm-hmm. and they get there and there's nothing there. Um, but he was just very, uh, uh, I guess, very energetically vocal about this to the point where they were having fights and you know, he was telling her about the end of the world. And she was like, look, I just want to die and go to heaven and be with Jesus with the baby. That's, I don't care if like everything ends, can we just live a normal life? And she was asking me like, what can I do? Like she was coming to me for help. Like, mm. what can I do about wow. this? Yeah. And I had to be the one to tell her that once somebody goes down this pathway, uh, essentially there, there's not a lot you can do. Because what happens to the delusion is it absorbs the personality structure of the person that is, um, the the person that is um, absorbing these ideas, and literally their personality kind of evaporates. And so one of the reasons why why you see it being so power like if you if you if you've ever tried to argue with somebody who's has gone down that rabbit hole and they just mm-hmm. won't listen to you and you're like but here's the evidence yeah, it's because their entire personality is now based around this. Uh, delusive thought and if you and when you try to challenge that is it's as if you're killing them they feel as if it's it's on their your ego is there to defend itself that's what an ego does 
their ego structures move forward to, de to, to defend themselves. In terms of your question of has it always been there, um, I think that there are probably certain people that have certain types of central nervous systems that are more uh, likely to uh, fall prey to de delusional type thought. They're just, a, they're, they're, they're just or their brains are organized a little bit differently than uh, some other folks. And mm -hmm. so I would say that the potential has always been there, but with the internet uh, and social media, social media is when it blew up, uh, is that what social media has done is it's given large numbers, millions of people, platforms around which to organize those delusional thoughts in a way that um, allows them to organize en masse, where before you had kind of like isolated pockets or isolated people. Yeah. yeah it just exacerbates the problem. It's, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I think to me, the obvious next question becomes, you know, a person encounters... Uh, the conspiracy, let's say from an honest place of, I, you know, this is interesting. I just want to understand. It's another point of view. Um, most of us seem to be able to like get to a point where we're kind of like, okay, you know, I see where this is kind of going off the rails. Right. Mm -hmm. and, we, and you can pull back. Um, but I, I think sometimes it can be difficult to discern between a conspiracy theory um, or a cult movement. Right. And then, something um that is you know a valuable counter opinion that maybe you should actually pay attention to right do you do you have a suggestion for how people can kind of um discern between those two things well i i think what i would you know one of the other things i do sometimes is i'm a debate coach i have been in the past i have worn that hat so i teach argumentation classes and we always talk about following the evidence and 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 what I always, uh, well, I guess from a personal standpoint, I would say you try to approach reality in a transparent fashion. You try to bring as little of your own, uh, your, as few of your own your, your, your own predispositions as possible uh, mm -hmm. when you're coming toward it. And to be, and to be open, like uh, my wife was just saying a moment ago, she was just advising a young person, don't close any doors, especially when you're young. When you close doors, you're closing off possibilities. And so, mm -hmm. um, and when you have that that sense in your mind that you are, and and then and then look at the the empirical evidence. Uh, if you find yourself rejecting a mountain of empirical evidence in order to maintain a belief structure, that might be a moment to self-evaluate. Um, so, but I think probably taught just in, in the way that you're communicating right now, I don't think that you're probably in too much danger of that. Um, it's a um, there's a. Uh, um, uh, like I said, there, there, there can be some folks that, and, and you know, human beings are kind of, we're kind of wired to have uh, delusional thinking. Uh, right, um, right. That's part of, it's, it's a survival mechanism. You know, let's take a delusion like tribe before truth, right? Do you side with the tribal delusion or you decide, or do you side with the truth? Who's going to get their genes replicated within the gene pool? The person that's in the tribe uh, at the center of power or the person that's saying like, no guys, the, the earth rotates around the sun. It's not like, I mean, there was a, there was a, a, a period in time when, when that belief didn't work out so well for the people that held it. So yeah, um, yeah. when, when you, uh, so uh, I, I think that uh, the, the fact that you're asking that question probably means you're, you're not in a lot of danger of, of, of getting, sucked into a conspiracy rabbit hole probably if you have the self-awareness to do yeah. that that's a relief to me and well and i think that's the missing <laughs> component right is that to your point like some people are kind of maybe more predisposed to accept kind of a, a fringe belief mm -hmm. system right mm -hmm. um and and then the missing component becomes that ability to kind of self-check and see Hey, there's empiric, you know, I have to move seven things aside to, to make these two other things Correct. work. Yeah. Um, and, and there's just not an ability to evaluate that. And uh, frankly, like I have a personal belief system that like a lot of people would consider a myth, you know, whatever. And, and like, as, as I think logical as I approach a lot of things, a lot of people are kind of like, but why that, why do you believe this kind of weird, crazy mm -hmm. thing? Um, so I think maybe we all sort of subscribe to well, some, some weird, sure. right? Like true, like there's one soulmate. That, that's an easy one, right? Like, is that really true? Probably not. But there's <laughs> a lot of people that live life as like, 
yeah. my yeah. soulmates out there and I'm going to right. And so I think we may all sort of have that. Yeah. Um, and, and just, there's one thing is that it's yeah. a, uh, a lot of times the types of conspiracies and, and things that I look at are generally kind of antisocial or they lead to a- antisocial outcomes a lot of times, like destruction yeah. and violence and that sort of thing. People who have yeah. like mythic beliefs and that sort of thing, I, you know, I kind of think about that a little bit differently. And there is some research about, you know, Jung and the, the, you know, the collective unconscious and that sort of thing that, that tends to indicate that there may be something kind of underlying our consciousness in terms of like, you know, projecting your awareness into these un- unconscious realms where we potentially have, um, we find these archetypal narratives and that they may have kind of deeper meanings and, and that sort of thing. Um, and by the right. way, one of the things, I don't go around like debunking myths or something like that. That's absolutely not what, I, that's not what I'm kind of doing. As a matter of fact, when I talk to these folks, right. you know, I'm just kind of, uh, they usually find me, I, I'm such a kind of open, you know, like the, the, the stuff in my novel, like whenever I meet UFO enthusiasts, I'm, you know, what the hell do I know? I mean, it's, it's possible, right. That there could be yeah. something out yeah. there. Right. Right. So, <laughs> um, you know, I'm not, uh, uh, I'm not in the business of like trying to tear people's belief structure down unless <laughs> it's, it's like, uh, dim, it's demonstrably incorrect and it has, uh, a negative outcome for them, uh, either personally or for us as a society. Well, mm-hmm. and I think when you, when you say apocalyptic, Redder, like when it's kind of focused on this falling apart destruction mm-hmm. type and everything is around that right like that becomes a, a thing that can become kind of harmful although i guess the counterpoint to that would be um you know climate change right like that's a very apocalyptic narrative that we're generally accepting as being scientifically valid right and there's a lot of concern around what that's going to do, rising water levels, temperature swings, those types of things. But there's, um, mm-hmm. And that seems to empirically be it, it, There's up, evidence right? for that, yeah. We're having a lot right. of evidence that we, you know, even just sort of being a, a – I, I grew up in Arkansas and moved away for a long time and came back, and it doesn't snow anymore. So it's kind yes. of you – know, Right. I, I have empirical <laughs> – even mm-hmm. in my own personal observation, I, I can empirically verify, you know, what the scientists are, are saying appears to be correct. So, yeah, um, yeah no, I would agree. I, I would agree with that. But it, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that. It just kind of where'd you move to? <laughs> well, I, I got I did my postgraduate work at Indiana University in Bloomington. And then I actually worked at a small all male college in Indiana for about five years uh, before deciding to, to come back down south. Gotcha. And it's always been Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my family, uh, is originally from Madison County. My mom's family from Madison County and my dad's family's out of uh, spring Valley. Yeah. Gotcha. Hmm. And then, so were you a professor already when you started the apocalyptic yeah. rhetoric or did you become a professor? I, I became a professor and then you were already, th- th- this is, this became my, my research focus. Yeah. So, yeah, I was I'm, hmm. I was interested yeah. in communication because I was interested in the way that we kind of collectively produce realities and the way we kind of talk them into existence. And what more interesting way to look at that than yeah. look at a cult? You know, I just found that I tend to like to look at um, really off the grid types of belief systems because you can study how we formulate these these thought we do, how we formulate these realities if you find one that's kind of extreme or kind of really outside the norm. And, uh, and so it's a really fascinating place to look at the interaction patterns that end up, uh, forming the basis for these, these group beliefs. What's your favorite theory, just in the sense that like, it kind of like, um, like, you know, you don't agree with it necessarily, but that this one just kind of tickles you or it, it, it surprises you in some way. Like what, what's the one that has always just stood out as like wow that one's a oh, like end of the world movements oh okay yeah yeah just any of them. well I, the thing that surprised me about them to be honest with you uh was the prevalence of the book of revelations even in non-western mm-hmm. cultures like that was the thing mm-hmm. that kind of blew me away you know even with things like the ghost dance or like you go to japan like you remember om shinrikyo the people that were putting nerve gas in the subway revelations mm-hmm. um I, I i thought they were kind of like a more of a uh you know, they, they kind of took like tantric yoga type stuff and blended that with revelations. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the uh-huh. uh, 
even the Taiping Rebellion uh, in China in the 19th century, which uh, killed over like 60, 70 million people, uh, turns out that that was, you know, the, at the core of that was the missionaries had brought this belief system into inner China. And there was this scholar who um, had a kind of psychotic break after reading the book of Revelations and decided he was, he was Jesus and he was here to purge the, uh, uh, the, the existing dynasty, and then that started sparked this civil war that just just burned for years and killed millions and millions of people. And so the first thing I was kind of surprised by was the fact that Revelation seems to be uh, 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 seems to be a text that has. I, I could almost make the argument it's one of the most influential pieces of work in our just in history, just because of the way that it keeps kind of reemerging yeah. in a lot of these belief systems. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of the one that I, I was the most intrigued by, uh, and obviously it, it, it's probably pretty obvious from my uh, uh, from the Ethereal Transit Society, would be Heaven's Gate. Um, and so they were the folks out in California who uh, mm-hmm. uh, took their own, who committed suicide, you know, ate, you know, drank poison, uh, and um, with the belief that they were going to be downloaded into these perfect bodies uh, that were... Uh, being stored on a spaceship that were that was in the tail of a comet, and yeah. that was one of those ones because you know when we talk about a lot of the end of the world movements, a lot of my students would go like, "Well, that's crazy." When they they would go, "They, this is the one where we get to it." They go like, "That's crazy. Those people were crazy," and I'm just like, mm-hmm. "Well, I mean, I you know if I were a betting man, I would say they were probably wrong, but you know." There's at least some, I mean, you know, I, could, could we get to a point where we could upload and download consciousness into artificial, you know, machines or something, you know, maybe, you know, it's what I'm saying is that, mm-hmm. you know, that you're, so you're saying there's a chance, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I found it to be uh, an intriguing theory and, and kind of an intriguing group. So, um, yeah. so I guess for me, it was the UFO religions that kind of, uh, kind of drew my attention they're the ones that i i had i felt like i had some uh affinity with i guess and you kind of well in my brain connect to this kind of there's a parallel path here of that kind of dystopian uh science fiction type world right like um altered carbon or 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 blade runner yeah where it's not fully apocalyptic end of the world but it's this very um, Black Mirror, mm-hmm. right, does a very good job of that. Where like we're kind of inherently headed down this bad path, and it's almost like a an apocalyptic light mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of narrative. But you see that even starting like Elon Musk um, talking more and more about being able to download the consciousness into well a neural right net, right like he he's a rich guy who doesn't want to die. You know he's he's got a pretty good life. He's like you know I'd like to hang around for a while. It's just like hey let's work on this yeah. whole like. Hey, bring in a new body. <laughs> the altered carbon thing would be a great thing for uh, somebody with a lot of money right now. So you can kind of see why yeah. that would be an attractive belief structure. Yeah. But but I, I just, I guess what I find interesting is that like that conversation seems to be on the rise, not as fast or as popular necessarily, but the idea that we live in like a, a simulation, right? You hear people talking about that more and more yeah. and more. And there's kind of an escapism associated with both of these things in mm-hmm. my mind have you ever re- have you read a, a, any philip k dick okay a lot of well dick, you, you know about fan. his psychotic break that he had when he was doing the valis series then right yeah yeah so i mean that's kind of the type yeah. that's the type of stuff i find fascinating for me on the, the authors that i really like to read I, I like to find a really brilliant author who has undergone some sort of uh psycho- psych- uh psychiatric disruption in the way that they're processing stuff and then watch them try to write their way back into sanity or try to grapple with what's happening inside Mm. their brain through their, their art or their fiction. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I think that in his work, you kind of, you see somebody who on the one hand is like looking at reality and thinking like, this is not really, uh, this is not really necessarily the place. This place is not ideal they start imagining the sort of enemies that are out there to get them, the sort of imagined Roman empire or, you know, that's, and that's where you have the idea of like religious figures being like alien downloads and that sort of thing. 
Uh, and then he begins to have these fantasies that God is like talking to him and beaming things into his brain or sending special messengers to his door with, uh, with uh, pain medication, you know. And um, so I, I think that they become when, when, a, when a culture, particularly when it's becoming kind of psychotic as a culture, you can see how these types of narratives would begin to explode. I mean, that's that's once again kind of a Jungian thing, you know, when when, when we get really paranoid and freaked out is typically when these types of myths begin emerging as a way to try to help us cope. Yeah. Well, and that's something we, uh, my friends and I have been talking about a lot is that like civilizations over a long enough period of time collapse, mm -hmm. right? Like they just do. Um, do you see that? I don't know how far back your research goes, but do you see those narratives kind of start to pick up pace? Absolutely. In, yeah yeah like i you know i i've read some roman classics but i don't know if i've really paid attention to like hey they start to get a little more end of the world feeling <laughs> as we get to the time of nero right or whatever mm. like kind of oh yeah fa oh, that's a fascinating time period yeah so yeah nero was a yeah he was a an interesting an interesting character and um and and all of that it was uh, I mean, there were a lot of uh, a lot of folks that actually I don't know how like how far down this rabbit hole you necessarily want to go, but hey, we've got we've yeah. got an hour, right? So, so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Nero Nero freaked people out because that guy he had an immense amount of power, he had a an, a this huge personality. He was always doing these really crazy staged theatrical things, like driving a chariot with too many like twelve horses and something like that. You know, he was just things that were supposed to be impossible, building these huge colossal projects. And of course he thought he was this really great actor. And so you'd have to go sit through these really long performances of his. Uh, and on his, in his free time, he would go run around the city and like dress up as like a, a, a robber and beat people up because he was a fairly physically strong guy. So he was just this really you know, like, and if you managed to fight him off and you recognized him as like, oh, Caesar, you know, it, you had to like pretend you didn't know him because otherwise, you know, you can't, you couldn't really like, you know, out him or other, otherwise you would, uh, you would incur his wrath, but he had the, such a huge personality. It's, it's quite possibly, he might've been the, the trigger point for the book of revelations having been written to begin with, because that was right about the time that the book would have been authored. Wow. Because, uh, that, you know, when you talk about, you know, he's oftentimes considered to be, you know, the, uh, in that sort of lineage of beasts that are supposed to show up and kings and that sort of thing. He's that, you know, that sixth king. I can't remember if he's the fifth or the sixth. I'd have to go back and double check my notes. Right, right. But um, he was just, he he was, and he was such, uh, he was such a, 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 he was such bad news for minority groups uh, within Rome, uh, particularly a group who called themselves the Egyptians, who were kind of these uh, vegetarian, <laughs> uh, vegetarian people who wouldn't wear animal skins and that sort of thing. They they caught a lot of flack from mm. them, but you can imagine the early Christians probably did as well. He freaked them out, um, and people thought it was the end of the world because it was. I mean, it was crazy. Uh, the, the the Roman the Roman Empire under Nero really it really must have been highly energetic. Uh, so, uh, and. And there was even, you know, when and a lot of that stuff about resurrection narratives that you see coming out and like the uh, in the the later later gospels, uh, a lot mm -hmm. of people feel like that might have come from Nero as well because he was such a big personality that people didn't think he could die. Um, this and so after Nero died, Nero started popping up all over the place, and so the Romans were constantly going around and, and like you know somebody would pop up and say, "I am Nero reincarnated," or "I am the new," "I am Nero mm -hmm. returned from heaven," or whatever, and um, they would have to like show up, ascertain this was not Nero, and then execute them. Um, so this was just <laughs> kind of a, it was really a crazy time actually, and so you could see how. Um, you could see how some of the books in the the later books in the the New Testament would emerging out of that that environment would um, kind of be written the way that that they were. So that was yeah the first century early first century was a you know and that's also when you had the Jewish uh, rebellion and the the temple um, when mm. all of that took place and so that was obviously a, a that was an apoc apocalyptic moment for that culture when yeah. this really sacred holy place. Um, became a site for um, 
the establishing you know, Jewish nationhood, you know, in that 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 read Judea, mm-hmm. right? We're going to reestablish the kingdom of Judea. Um, and then the Roman uh, army came in and after a really long and bloody siege, um, destroyed the temple. And that was, of course, an apocalyptic event. You know, and so and that got um, uh, that was obviously then uh, something which would have a big impact on the on the culture going forward. my food would get here (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, it may be here i don't know um i heard a honk outside but uh it's there there we go (laughs) (laughs) um i guess that's a window into my life folks pizza just you know i yep that's i ordered pizza to be left on my front porch last night so. That's our, ours is contactless. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Have, have to go that way for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. What new thing have you had to do this year? Like, like that. Let us know yeah. the the like the shift that yeah. you that you made. Mm-hmm. That and I think what's interesting that you think you'll keep doing. Mm-hmm. Like, like what's the new thing that started happening that you're like, okay, I actually like. I was never the guy to do the like. Um, grocery delivered to my house yeah. or yep. right yep. kind of stuff. And I started doing it. And now I think like that habit might be in place. I wish it had stayed with like baking or making ginger yep. beer, but <laughs> I think the thing may be, I might just order mm-hmm. my groceries to my door now. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would love, I would love to hear like, what's, what's something that you started doing either because you had to, or was easier mm-hmm. or felt safer that you think you may just continue because the convenience or the comfort has stepped in. I'm actually, I'm very curious about that. I've been ordering groceries online the entire time since March, April last year. Yeah, me too. I mean, I haven't changed that one bit. So as long as you plan ahead, it's good. Yeah, I've definitely, I've gone to the store for like some emergency stuff or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, for the most part, I think that one's going to, that one may stick around. I do too. Um, So we, we, talked about a little bit earlier but we can't stress enough again um please write a review rate the show share with your friends Mm -hmm. um you know the like new year for us right and it's all about growth and getting in front of more people yeah and so if when you see a post from us on facebook share that post uh if you see a post on instagram like it Mm -hmm. leave a comment that interaction really drives getting more people um, to to hear about the show, mm-hmm. learn about the show. So if it's something that you love, that's something that's really easy for you to do that, that goes a long way in supporting us. And, and our goal this year is to continue to expand the audience, um, figure out new ways to interact with everybody. Hopefully, like I said, get back out there and, and be part of craft fairs oh, yeah. and right, like maybe do some live shows. Mm-hmm. Like I'm excited about that possibility yeah. being there. Yeah. So um, share the show. Uh, let us know what you think about the show and we'll we'll talk to you yeah. soon so i think what's interesting is like there's this kind of consistent historical narrative of the apocalypse is around the mm-hmm. corner right it's yeah. imp- it's impending like the end is near whatever that means um but it localized that may be true. Rome falls, you know, like Britain loses its its power. Like the Mongolian Empire isn't what it once was. You have these kind of like consistent civilizations kind of falling apart at the seams. But as a globe, we keep on trucking. Yes. Like to some extent, you would think the positive narrative yeah. would stick somewhere, <laughs> you know, like, hey, we're probably going to make it. Yeah. As a okay, group. I, I can tell you, here's a, <laughs> here's a funny thing that I used to sometimes ask the the conspiracy theorists, you know, the New World Order types, like, we're all being controlled with the New World Order, and they're, and they're causing, they're giving us cancer, and they're microchipping us, and they're doing all this stuff. And I said, <laughs> 5G cell towers. Yes, exactly. So this was, the thing, I think so. this was yeah. the thing that I sometimes would just sort of do as a little, just to kind of have some fun, and uh, it typically, I found this was not a good thing to bring up the interview, but it's just like, 
well, what if there was a new world order and they could do all of these incredible things? Wouldn't it be actually be kind of a positive thing for humanity? Because if they can, you know, like if they're causing cancer, they could cure cancer. And if they, and if they're, if they're like mm -hmm. affecting weather, maybe they could, you know, disrupt mm -hmm. droughts and stop hurricanes. And um, so, uh, yeah, sometimes, you know, befuddling the whole uh, uh, apocalyptic narrative with a progress narrative uh, sometimes is a, a kind of an interesting exercise as we, it's, it's very easy to sort of adopt that dystopian narrative, but, but you're right that the general human trajectory has been toward progress, I think. You know, when, when we see things like yeah. democracy and, and medicine, the extension of life, uh, uh, human rights being extended to, uh, uh, being, being extended to women, and, you know, the fact that we have, uh, we're, you know, we, we obviously we don't have a culture that's entirely equal yet, but we do have a critical mass of people who think that human rights are valuable. Uh, that's new. I mean, if you'd gone back to like somebody like a cowboy from the 19th century and said, you know, you shouldn't shoot the Native Americans because that's a, uh, they have human rights. They wouldn't have understood what you were talking about. It would have been just like a completely right, nonsensical right. concept to them. So mm -hmm. in just in that short span, short of span of time, we at least have certainly made progress. Yeah. Well, there's there's a book I read about a year ago called Factfulness. Mm -mm. Have you heard of this? It's it's really great. It was a, a like the head scientist of who I think or I, I don't remember. Um, but he basically wrote this book just saying, look, over the, you know, my lifetime of doing this work, things are getting better. That's not to say that we've eradicated world hunger. We've right. Like, but you can look yeah. and, and see that like quality of life has improved for basically everybody. Um, not that it's equal, not that we're where we need to be, but you know, childbirth rate, survival rate is better. Right. Um, more people have access to water. They're eating a little right. bit better. And, and it's just this whole book of like, here's positive results that we never talk about because the narrative from a charity standpoint kind of does better if you you're sort of portraying it as like not necessarily like like always in need of assistance mm -hmm. right but mm -hmm. um it, it was a really great book i think just to read something and say okay like the changes we're making are improving yeah the the living yeah. situation of the people around us as a whole yeah. Yeah. right um and I think it's a worthwhile read for anybody because sometimes you can kind of get down like, man, it just doesn't seem like people have been hungry in Africa since I was born, apparently, you know, like um, and you just kind of you lose touch with the progress that you're making. And and his argument is we have to share this information out because we need Absolutely. to show people that a change is occurring um, while at the same time saying keep doing this because we're not there. Absolutely. Yet. Yeah. Right. yeah, I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Um, have, have you? Yeah, factfulness. Have you ever read uh, Yuval Noah? Yuval Noah Harari? Any of his work? I not by um, name. So he has a book called Sapiens. Uh, I'd actually, uh, I actually, I was wa watching an interview with uh, Barack Obama when he was president, and he was talking about it as having been a real influential book for him. And I was like, I'll check that out. So whenever I'm feeling depressed about the species, Harari is the guy that I go to. He's my go-to read. You know, I'll look at one of his things. But a really smart guy. And he, he's with the guy that sort of talks about sort of the possibilities that still exist in front of us in terms of like where we can go. You know, I'm, I'm one of those, I grew up during the age of the space program when everybody, 2001, right? We all thought we were going to be colonizing the moons of Jupiter Flying by now. And, yeah. and of course, <laughs> right. that's not going to happen. So uh, yeah. what Harari does is he kind of like, he, he gets us, he, he's, he begins to talk more about the, uh, the, the human potentials that still exist out there. And he puts them in the context of our history and then kind of talks about the uh, sort of the grand movements in history in a way that's both sobering, realistic, and um, and I think uh, uh, in a way that is, uh, he, he's not very tolerant of like superstition and things like that, but uh, he, he begins mm -hmm. to see how our species might like actually physically evolve. So, right. I'm going to have to check. I'll put that on my list. That sounds awesome. That, that makes me so like, that makes me think, and I am literally just talking without a filter at this point, I guess, but it seems like 
if I look back that we have moments of like real optimism as a society, like the space age feels very optimistic. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I grew up on star Trek, right. And there's this very optimistic view of what's going to occur. And then even like the advent of the internet, there's a lot of like positivity, like, man, we're going to have all this knowledge and Mm -hmm. it's kind of equalizing and, and, and giving, um, access to ideas and information to everybody. And it's very democratic. And then you almost have this like, clap back moment occur where it's like oh but here's all the downside right the dot-com bubble mm-hmm. um the internet gives us porn or, or <laughs> wikipedia it makes, yeah it, 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 <laughs> wikipedia or it makes it makes a you know cult fringe thought more accessible and mm. um so it's almost like a reckoning moment that occurs after this weird optimism moment is that a cycle that you've seen or something you've considered i'm sure you've considered it before this is new no I, it's well, as you were talking i was kind of thinking about uh the scene and buckaroo bonsai where he says no matter where you go there you are and so it's sort of like yes we always think that we're escaping from the these things but at the same time yeah. we're humans at the end of the day but yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. science fiction authors uh, back in the, I mean, there was a lot of really sort of inf- positivity, the you know, idea, a utopian sort of fantasies. And Star Trek was a powerful one. Mm-hmm. What a powerful, uh, what a powerful myth that was. And, uh, and yeah, it, it kind of, it, it kind of got shattered, you know, when we, we suddenly realized that no, we're not just going to magic warp engines are not going to magically appear and we're stuck here with each other. It was like, you're locked in the, yes, I know it's a big planet, but we're kind of locked in a room with each other and we better figure it out because, um, uh, the starship Inter- enterprise is not gonna, you know, it's not going to rescue us. So, yeah, mm. I'm still going to hope I'm going to hold on to this one. Maybe I'm glad. somehow <laughs> the Vulcans come and take me away. Um, let's, so let's talk about your book. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to be very honest. I haven't had a chance to mm-hmm. read it yet. Um, I, I know you brought it to me and apparently we live very close to each other, which um, I'm excited to know. Cause when COVID's over, I'm going to grab you for coffee sure. at some point, but uh, cause an hour with you already isn't enough. Um, oh, thanks. <laughs> but do, do you want to, give us just a brief overview of, of the book. And, um, I, I do have it here. It's on my bedside table. It's, it's next to yeah. the list, but it's, um, um, it's called the ethereal transit society. And it's a story about an apocalyptic cult, uh, in California that, uh, have, have already, they, they've already committed mass suicide and they're gone and there are some left behinds and these three left behinds begin to receive this weird signal. Um, that they they have they used to do these meditation uh, uh, meditation sessions called tuning sessions, which they sort of like focus on this signal as part of their religion. And they realize that it's the the signal that their leader, whose name was Quint, which was short for quintessence, that their leader used to put forth. And so they realize, but he's dead and buried, and he had been they 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 never knew where he was from, but his body after he dies is shipped back to Madison County, Arkansas and buried in the hills in Arkansas. And so Mm. it's about these three left behind cult members a year after all of their friends have killed themselves showing up in Madison County, Arkansas to try to find the burial place, the crypt of their former, their former uh, cult leader and to try to figure out why this signal is being transmitted. And they begin to find when they get here that the signal is so strong, it's beginning to cause these disruptions and, and people in the area are beginning to engage in kind of psychotic behavior and that sort of thing. They're, they're, not, they, they, they don't, they're not really aware of the signal, the people in the hills, but they're aware that something is wrong. And they're beginning to react in adverse ways. And this then all gets kind of tied back into their mythology about this thing called the transit light that was going to come and rescue them. So uh, that's the uh, that's kind of the setup. The, man, I'm very excited to read this. I yeah, and thank you for bringing me a copy mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. I can read it. I'll Aaron, I'll I'll get it I'll, over to you. I'll so have to find a way to get it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure we'll cross paths at some Absolutely. point, right? Um, Hopefully, yeah. But uh, so so. So this is a novella. Um, I've done a little writing in the past and like kind of once you, you know, you've done that, I think your brain almost immediately, sometimes in the writing process starts to think about the next, 
the next story. Is there another one up your sleeve or are you working on something already yeah. or, or is it let this one kind of sit for well, a while? And... You know, actually here's what I did is, is I, when I first started writing, I, I, I was writing novels and, and these are, uh, nobody's actually seen any of these. Like these were just things I was just doing it for me. It was just like, I don't know, I practice, you know, and I would go back and rewrite them and rewrite them and just try to get them, try mm-hmm. to get the story right. And that was where I was kind of honing my craft. I didn't even realize what I was doing then. And then when I realized that nobody, it's just like, I thought, then somebody said, Hey, you need to publish these. And I was like, okay. And I started trying to look at that. And it's, and it's obviously, you know, some middle-aged guy wrote a novel and who wants to publish it? And the answer turns out nobody. So, um, (laughs) yeah. So that's when I started, I thought, well, what can I do? So I started writing some, uh, some short stories and my work tended to be a little bit more kind of uh, leaned a little bit literary, but, um, those are, you know, a lot of those literary magazines, the really consequential ones, you need an agent to even kind of get through the door. So mm-hmm. I noticed that there were more opportunities in the horror market. And I, you know, I, I liked, I liked, I liked kind of horror when I was a kid and stuff. And I kind of like mm-hmm. weird, uh, adverse, dark narratives. So, you know, like some of the authors I really like are like Gabriel Garcia Marquez, who you could argue is kind of like a horror mm-hmm. writer, you know, with the magical realism and the supernatural events, um, Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian or uh, Umberto yeah. Echo's Prague Cemetery, just all these just really, mm. really smart guys that write really uh, uh, Leslie Marmont Silco's, you know, uh, Almanac of the Dead, you know, just really smart writers that write really, really kind of like smart, dark fiction. That's the kind of stuff I liked. And um, so I started writing these kind of short stories. Some of them were more genre based and some of them were a little more kind of literary based and started getting those published and this was just one that turned out to be longer when i wrote it it just turned out to be it just mm-hmm. it took longer to tell the story um so what i was really doing though is i was establishing a, fr- a groundwork with this stuff all the stuff that i've done was a groundwork uh, to try to to publish a novel that i had written that had kind of been sitting on um and so it was just mm-hmm. a way to like okay maybe if i get a publishing track record um at some point I might get somebody to, uh, to pay attention to me, but it's, it's a, this is a novel that's kind of a period piece and it, it deals a lot with like my family history and stuff like that, which I know makes huh. it sound really interesting, but it's, it's set in, uh, uh, like the, the 19, uh, 19 teens in Winslow, Arkansas. And so that's, okay. that's the, 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 the setting for it. And it's, it's told from the, uh, it's told from the perspective of a first-person narrative of a young girl who lives there uh, named Madrigal Van Meter. And uh, it's about uh, a summer where the, the residents in the community began to, kind of similar to uh, the Ethereal Transit Society in terms of this, this element, but the people there begin acting strangely. Uh, and in a way that's uh, this one summer where things get very, very, uh, reality begins to slip for the people in that community and they begin to have uh, begin to act in, in strange and uh, uh, in strange ways, and so that's the that's the novel that I was actually uh, looking to eventually um, try to, uh, to. And it's very historically grounded. I did a ton of research. I went to Winslow and researched all the historical figures. It's got Bell Stars granddaughters mm-hmm. in it. It's just like all all these kind of folks that were living in the area at that time. And I had access to a lot of kind of interesting docu- documents and that sort of thing that that gave me some insider, uh, an insider look at the culture at that time. And so, uh, and it's definitely not really, it's, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of speculative fiction, but it's also kind of, uh, uh, it might kind of, you know, be a little bit more literary as well. Historical fiction, I don't know what it is exactly. I thought it was just a prescient allegory. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. So it's a, <laughs> uh, uh, a mirror of the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've been anticipating um, it for a while. It's finally, un- unfortunately, it's finally, it's finally here. <laughs> so. <laughs> no, but that, that, that's cool. And I, I think um, also promising in a way, because I think there's a lot of people that kind of, uh, you know, the fervor of youth or a newfound passion, you kind of, produce a thing and then you put it in a drawer and a lot of people let that just kind of sit and wither away and Mm -hmm. i think there it's encouraging for any kind of creative person to hear somebody else say 
you know, like I couldn't see a path forward here at the time. So I built a new mm -hmm. path um, that I thought would eventually get me there. And then I can pull this thing back out. And you see that with movie directors yes. I think all the time. Like, you know, I wrote this movie when I was in college and nobody would pay attention to me, but now I'm an actor and, and I can direct this film and it turns out mm -hmm. to be great. Right. Um, yeah. So to me, I always find that kind of inspiring that like, uh, perseverance pays mm -hmm. off right and thinking about the problem in a new way can can unlock new doors right open those doors back yeah. up so i look forward yeah. to that yeah. appearing that... um oh, no, go ahead go ahead sorry i didn't actually oh. have anything i was just feeling i'll edit that part out later <laughs> for me what i in terms of publishing to me it's kind of like you're trying to to find a way to hack the code that's what i've i've been kind of doing so once i made the decision that i was going to try to publish um and uh, it, for me, it's just been like, okay, so how do these dials work? Like, so how do you do this? You know, and um, and when you're coming at it from being just a nobody middle-aged guy in the middle of nowhere, because I mean, there are thousands of, there are tens of thousands of writers, tens of thousands of writers. And mm -hmm. so how do you pierce the word noise and that sort of thing? Is to me, it's, it's actually kind of, a, you know, a lot of people get frustrated with it and they're in a hurry. Like, don't be in a hurry. Just just relax, sit back, and just kind of study the board, study the puzzle, and see if you can find ways to uh, um, to get your voice out there. And so mm -hmm. uh, I've kind of looked at it as almost like I'm playing a game or something, and I'm just trying to work the combination. You know, this, this one I was fortunate. The, the novella call came from Bad Dream Entertainment. It was just an open call on the internet. That I that I had on one of the services that I that I get that you know notifies me whenever somebody is looking for fiction, and I sent it in there with the 200 other submissions, and that was the one that got selected. So it was just you know, it, and I've had tons of rejections, just like everybody else. You have all those rejection stories you that people talk about. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just been you know you just you just kind of I just kind of kept at it. I. I you know, don't take, don't take rejections personally. And you just, um, and to me, it's kind of, and now, and now the whole point is that it's okay. Now it's out there. Now I kind of like people to read it. So now I'm thinking about, okay, how do you, you know, what do you do? Well, you, you go on a podcast and you talk to smart people who have, you know, are, are, are interested in kind of sharing ideas with the public. And, and that's one way. And wait, what other podcasts have you been on? Well, I had a, if you're talking to smart people, it obviously <laughs> yeah. wasn't this one. So I <laughs> so one other one, yeah. So you must have talked to Randy Wilburn. He's smart. <laughs> so, but it's a uh, you know, and and actually, we're we're uh, the editor and I are talking about doing some kind of interesting things in terms of maybe kind of raising the profile because it, it is an independent press, and uh, and so we have some some fun ideas planned. And fortunately, the uh, the nature of the novella actually kind of lends itself to. Um, oh, it's, yeah, it's too bad we're not like, like one of the things that we did is, uh, we printed up some, I had some local artists work on posters. So a lot of times apocalyptic groups, um, will promote themselves via like the type of posters you would see, like, you know, tacked to a bulletin board and that sort of thing. So we right, had right. posters printed up that looked at like from the ethereal transit society as if they're inviting you to come to one of their meetings right as if it's if it, it at like a, a poster that uh, you would see in the novel and and sent oh, those out so cool. to mm -hmm. reviewers and got a really good response from re reviewers that way and so I'm, I'm hoping to take that idea and maybe kind of find a way to maybe try to uh get them to go viral or something like that and uh in a kind of playful way to get people maybe to, to click on the link and go visit the website. Yeah, that's it. Aaron and I talk about that all the time. Like making the thing is almost the easy part. Getting anybody mm -hmm. to pay attention that the thing exists yeah. becomes all of the lift, right? Like yeah. Yeah. when you're doing it, it seems like it's going to take forever to finish a novella or a novel or create a podcast or, or right. But mm -hmm. The real work is then, okay, there's a million options. How do I get people to pay attention to this one? And I think being creative like you are with a, kind of a guerrilla um, viral marketing campaign is mm -hmm. smart because I don't know if enough authors think about 
that piece of it. You know, mm-hmm. there's kind of an expectation sometimes. Well, I made it, so field of dreams, right? I, I built it, so I guess they're going to show up. No, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> and that, yeah, that is not no. how it works. Yeah, that's uh, uh, when we started the podcast, we had a person that kind of um gave their time consulting us and he was like you know you're gonna have to drag people kicking and screaming to listen to this thing right and we were like really really Mm -hmm. (laughs) but he's not wrong i mean Mm -hmm. you really have to do the legwork so you need to make like a youtube video that's like a recruitment video from the ethereal (laughs) society yes yeah absolutely i mean that's something i've kind of thought about as um, if you just kind of like put enough stuff out there, people will eventually start saying, you know, well, what is this? Like, what is this group? And then they click on it like, that's a mm-hmm. book, you know? And so it, it's kind <laughs> of a, a little bit of a, like I said, it's, it's, it's intended to be kind of a playful way to, to, to get people interested. But um, they, we have to get you in touch with Tyler. Tyler can make you a video. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, any like any like I'm I, the, the cool thing about this is that I'm kind of an old guy, too. So I'm sort of like learning new stuff. And I, you know, I kind of enjoy growing. And so for me, like podcaster, you know, I mean, I, I, I've been listening to podcasts for a while, but like actually participating in them is a new thing. And I think it's mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah. Or a um, uh, yeah, making my like, I actually just thought the other day, like, oh, I could make a video. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I saw TikTok, you know, and that I think about like I have that initial sort of old person, like I'm going to dismiss that as a stupid new technology. These like mm-hmm. uh, frivolous children, like in their TikTok videos. And then mm-hmm. I look at and then I watch a couple yeah. of them on social media and I'm like, well, that's kind of good. That's pretty smart. Yeah, yeah that's real, yeah. that's cool. <laughs> you know that I thought, yeah, hmm, I'm, I wonder what could I do? I have anything to offer? You know, I'm not sure if I do or not, but it's sort of like, do I have anything mm-hmm. creative to offer here? I, I don't know, but it's interesting to to get my my aging brain to think about that stuff and to to wonder if I can do anything mm-hmm. interesting. Well, and it may spark a like, you know, this might not work, but it sparks an idea that works in another mm-hmm. format or another platform, oh, right? Yeah. And so I think just exercising that muscle yeah. of you know, that's what uh, I forget what book it was I read it a long time ago, but it was talking about the fact that creativity generally is just taking two disparate things and marrying them together in mm-hmm. a new way. And like, that's where creativity kind of is bred from. Right. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah. so I think like, as you experience or experiment with stuff, you, you, you get those experiences that you can say, you know, if I took that from over here, Aaron and I used to play in a band together. So, Oh, we, really? We knew kind of how to get sound. Right. And we know we work together in this fashion. I like to talk too much. Aaron is really funny, like, and we, we get along together. And so we kind of took those two different things and we're like, I guess we can do a podcast, right? Like, mm-hmm. let's do that. Um, but you're just kind of marrying stuff together and some stuff works and some stuff doesn't. But what kind of music? Of, I, I think a breadth of experience. What kind of music did you play? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, let's just say rock. Uh, <laughs> pop like punk. Indie rock, yeah. I guess. <laughs> pop punk. It, I, the band yeah. existed for like 10 plus years. So it mm-hmm. kind of. What was it called? Journeyed, end of June. The the name of the band. End of end June. Of okay. June. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it mirrored, like I was really into uh, Simon and Garfunkel and Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. and the guy that I started the band with was really into Metallica <laughs> and Primus, and so you had this weird like clash of styles, and and yeah, I mean, I would say over the years it, it produced something worthwhile, but. Uh, it mm-hmm. also dissolved at some point because it was just two very, very different people that mm-hmm. kept pulling. Yeah, apart. I think that's but... what the scholars of poetry call ingenium, right? When two sort of colliding forces come together and generate a new reality or a new, uh, mm. a new kind of aesthetic moment. So, ingenium. ingenium. I'm gonna have to look that word up. That's a great word. This is two podcasts in a row that I've learned a brand new word. <laughs> yeah. I forgot the old one. Ambliopia. Ambliopia. Mm-hmm. What's that? Ambliopia. Yeah. Um, it's like a, a lazy eye. Oh. So we had a optometrist okay. on for the last episode mm-hmm. who does like ocular therapy to kind of like rehabilitate um things like lazy mm-hmm. eye, right? But it's amblyopia. So. Right, right. Yeah. I'm learning stuff. Um <laughs> okay. So Aaron likes to always kind of 
it, this hour went by so fast. I hope you really live close at after coffee. I have your number mm -hmm. now, so you're going to get an unexpected call Absolutely. at some point. But uh, after COVID, we'll we'll grab coffee. But Aaron likes to wrap up the podcast by starting a sentence and you finish it with whatever comes oh, to God. mind. Okay. There's no wrong answer. Yeah, it's easy. All right. Okay. I wish I could. I wish I could see my friends. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's like the saddest picture. Sorry. <laughs> you said the first well, thing. It's... No, no, I mean that. Yeah, that's yeah. that. I am one hundred percent with you on that yeah, one. I'm, Even yeah. Even this, like, this kind of remote. I love sitting around my table. Uh, we all kind of relax, and you're just in a room together. You can read each other a little bit better. I don't talk over Aaron, who just sits silently the whole time when we're um, on the video version. Um, <laughs> But it's just more energetic and more. Yeah. I don't know. I I'm an extrovert, and so this has been a tough year for me. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So and I, I'm an introvert, and I'm I'm actually at the point now. It finally kind of wore me down, and it's it's yeah. I'd like to, I'd like to just be able to uh, walk up and hug my friend without having to think about it. Just not have to think. I, I you know yeah. I've got this kind of uh, built-in inhibition now that um, I look forward to getting over. Um, as soon as possible, but still, it's just, um, uh, yeah, uh, it, it'll be nice just to be able to see people and, and not worry about it. Exactly. Hopefully we're closer. Hopefully we're getting we're a little closer. closer. I, yeah. More and more people that are my friends are getting the vaccine, which is, is, I think is good, right? Like, mm -hmm. so it's getting closer. I can feel it kind of creeping yeah. up on me and I'm in a group way farther down than I would care to be, but yeah, same, hopefully it's yeah. on its way. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, ready. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Me too. Tom, I can't thank you enough for uh, mm -hmm. sitting down with two guys who don't have any idea what's going on <laughs> and uh, teaching us about apocalyptic rhetoric, which I, yeah. I'm dead serious about getting together at some point and uh, just continuing the conversation I because I could talk about that for a long time. Yeah. Look What I Did is produced by Aaron Dotson and Daniel Quinn. Sound designed by Daniel Quinn. Our digital director is Heather Kelly.